Hey everybody, welcome back to Sports Island. Of course you know by now it's your getaway destination for sports news. And of course you know by now that I am your host, Rick Mitchell. Well, uh, we took a week off of Sports Island. Uh, Plenty of stuff going on and uh, just didn't have time to make it back onto the island this past week. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't paying attention to everything going on in the sports world because there is still plenty of stuff that happened over this past week. Uh, The NHLs and the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA is in their conference finals, and the PGA Tour just completed another major championship. So plenty of stuff to get into and talk about, and we'll go ahead and dive right into that. And we'll start off like we normally do. Of course, that's in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend was the 120th U.S. Open, which was held at Wingfoot Golf Club in New York. And at the beginning of the week last week, before the tournament started, world number three, Justin Thomas, came out and said that Wingfoot was the hardest course that he's ever played. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, you know, it's it's probably pretty difficult, and he's saying it's the hardest he's ever played, and he's played a ton of golf, so I'm interested to see how it plays. Well, I got to watch at least a little bit of all four rounds over the weekend here, and he was completely right on that. Um, that course looked insane. Uh, I've, I've actually personally never seen a course play that tough for that many top ranked golfers in the world. Uh, it just, it was unbelievable. The, there was no flat part on any of the greens. Uh, you were watching putts go in that you would see in, in a movie and it just, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, Bryson DeChambeau came out on top. Uh, He was your U.S. Open winner at six under par, which was a six-shot victory over Matthew Wolf, who finished at even par. Now, after Saturday's round three, Matthew Wolf actually was five under par, and he had a two-shot lead on DeChambeau, who was sitting at three under. And... Wolf just went the wrong way on Sunday. Uh, he, you could tell the pressure was kind of getting to him. Um, he he played well at uh, the PGA Championship at Harding Park, uh, so he's shown up for these majors. He's a really young kid, uh, still new to these big events, and uh, but he's really shown up here lately. But he just he went the wrong way on Sunday, and DeChambeau won. He was six shots clear, which for a major championship, six-shot victory is just, uh, that's pretty difficult to do. And DeChambeau was the only golfer under par on Sunday and was the only golfer to finish under par for the entire tournament. But uh, if you remember, on one of the first few episodes of this podcast, you know, I, I was talking about Bryson DeChambeau quite a bit, and he made several appearances in my weekly picks to click. But I made the prediction 
that Bryson DeChambeau was going to win a major this year. And wouldn't you know it, I was right about that because he won the U.S. Open this past weekend. And he didn't just win it. He really was in control of it. And I think DeChambeau's right up there again. I I said this with Dustin Johnson a couple weeks ago, that when Dustin Johnson has all the aspects of his game working, he is the best golfer in the world. Uh, And I would throw DeChambeau into that same category. Uh, He can hit the ball 380 yards, uh, which is nice. But if his putter is not on, then he he's a mess. But this past weekend, his putter was definitely on, and uh, he was able to cruise to a six-shot victory. Now, I didn't make any picks to click this week because there was no episode last week, so I don't have any picks to recap. But we'll look forward to this weekend's tournament, which is the... Uh, it's in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. It's the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship at the Corrales Golf Club in Punta Cana. And the field this week, the field of players, is just absolutely terrible. And I don't really know how else to say that. Uh, there is no top-ranked players in this field at all. In fact... We'll just jump into Rick's picks to click here because one of my picks to click, the first one I'll start you off with is uh, Henrik Stenson. He's the highest ranked player in the field, and he's 43rd in the world. Uh, Stenson's not been playing great since the restart. Uh, He's been playing the opposite of great. Um, But he's the highest ranked player in the field. He's won a major championship in his career He's never played here at Corrales before, and I don't see why he wouldn't at least play decent. Um, So I'll pick him as one of my picks. My second pick to click is Mackenzie Hughes. Uh, Hughes is ranked 54th in the world, um, and he's had a pretty good season. He's actually played really well as of late. Um, in his last, well, since the restart, we'll say, all right, since the restart, he has four top tens, uh, which is pretty good. And so he's been just one of those guys whose name you always see near the top of the leaderboard in the first couple rounds and maybe kind of tails off at the end. Uh, but with the lack of really elite competition, I can see Hughes, uh, staying in that top 25 range at the finish. Now, my final pick to click is Will Zalatoris. Now, Zalatoris, he's ranked number 76 in the world, but that's because of a huge jump that he's made here recently. Um, he has been spent the time this year on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is just below the PGA Tour. And he has just absolutely lit up the Corn Ferry Tour to the tune of 11 straight top 20 finishes, which is unbelievable. Um, 
that's just really consistent golf. And he actually earned a sponsor's exemption for the U.S. Open this past weekend so he could participate. And all he did there with the big boys is finish tied for sixth. So Zalatoris can play. And as I've mentioned, this field sucks. So Zalatoris has just as good a chance to anybody. He's got my dark horse pick to win outright if I had to pick. I would say Zalatoris is really a, a good pick to win this thing outright. But uh, that'll wrap up the PGA Tour. Uh, we'll check back in on those picks next week, but uh, we'll move on to the National Hockey League. Now, the NHL, they are currently in the Stanley Cup Final. And if you recall, several episodes back, a couple episodes, I guess, I made my predictions on who I thought was going to be in the Stanley Cup Final. And I predicted Dallas, my hometown stars, to come out of the West. And I picked the Tampa Bay Lightning to come out of the East. Both of those predictions were correct, so I went 2-0 in the conference finals picks. Now, I didn't have an episode last week before this series started, so I don't have an actual pick on record. Um, This series just concluded game three. So we're three games into the Stanley Cup Finals. Tampa Bay is up two games to one. Um, But I'm still going to pick Dallas to win the Stanley Cup in seven games. Uh, Game three was just an absolute nightmare for Dallas. But prior to that, in the first two games, they vastly outplayed Tampa Bay four out of the six periods. Uh, Four out of the first six periods of this series were just completely dominated by Dallas. Um, And in fact, there was really only about a five-minute span in game two in that first period where Dallas let in three goals, two of which on the power play, to get down 3 nothing, And then they got outshot pretty bad in the, fir- the third period of game one, um, which they still won. But the point is, is if you, if you throw out game three, uh, out of those first two games, Dallas has been the better team. Uh, but they are—they do find themselves down two games to one. Uh, games uh, four and five are back-to-back games uh, on Friday night and Saturday night uh, this week. Friday the 25th, Saturday the 26th of September. Back-to-back games. And I'm really not sure why the NHL decided to go back-to-back for the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I get if it was the conference finals and you're trying to get on a hurry up and get on a schedule uh, for the Stanley Cup Finals to begin on a certain day, but this is the last series of the season. You know, these guys have been in the bubble for roughly 70 days or so, Um, you know, so I'm sure they're ready to get the hell out of there, but at the same time, they're probably ready to win a Stanley Cup too, so I, I think it puts the teams at an unfair uh, disadvantage, we'll say, uh, to play back to back. Now they'll they'll both be you know equally as tired uh, in theory, but it just doesn't make sense that the NHL would schedule the back to backs like that in the Stanley Cup Finals. It just lessens the quality of hockey on that second night. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I would say, uh, as a Dallas fan, 
Uh, Friday, game four is a must-win for the Stars. Uh, if, if the Stars win game four, I like my prediction to come to fruition. But if the Stars lose game four and uh, go down 3-1, this thing could be over on Saturday in game five. Uh, it's just it's not going to be pretty. But we'll have to uh, see about that. That'll be interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to this this weekend. Watch those games, and hopefully the Stars can get a couple wins put together here and make it an interesting series. Uh, but we'll move on to Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball is finishing up their post or their regular season um they're about to begin their postseason and the season regular season for baseball ends this friday the 25th of september so as of as of this recording remember the baseball expanded their playoffs this season due to the shortened season so you got eight teams from each league that make the playoffs and as of this recording, which was done on Wednesday night with only two games left in the regular season, the American League has six of the eight playoff teams we know as of this moment. Uh, Tampa Bay is the AL East winner, but the New York Yankees have also clinched a playoff spot. Uh, in the American League Central... All three teams there, That the division winner is going to come down to the final game. But three teams out of the AL Central are going to make the playoffs, and that's the Minnesota Twins, Chicago White Sox, Cleveland Indians. Now, out of the American League West, the only team so far that's in is the division winner would be the Oakland A's. And they just ran away with this division. Uh, Six-and-a-half game lead right now on the Houston Astros. Now, the two wild card teams or the two remaining teams that we haven't discussed looks like are probably going to be the Houston Astros uh, and then the Toronto Blue Jays are also looking pretty good to get into the playoffs at this moment. But we've got to pay attention these next couple days to see how that race shakes out. It's going to be interesting, but we at least know the Rays, the Yankees, the Twins, the White Sox, the Indians, and the A's, as of now, are in. Now, the National League's a different story. We only know four out of the eight playoff teams at this moment. There's The National League's really going to come down to the last day and probably the last pitch of some games in terms of who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. So these next couple days are going to be just unbelievable to watch for National League baseball. Now, the division winner in the National League East is the Atlanta Braves. It's the third year in a row that they've won the AL East. They won it again this year, so they're in. The only team so far from the East that's in. Now, in the National League Central, the only team at the moment to clinch is the Chicago Cubs. Um, In the National League West, two teams have clinched a playoff spot thus far. And that is the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. And the fact that the Padres are in the playoffs is incredible. Uh, it's been a while since they've been anywhere near the playoffs. But 
the LA Dodgers actually have clinched the best record in the National League. So the Dodgers will be uh, the number one seed for the entirety of the National League playoffs, as long as they're in. So uh, it'll be interesting again to see how baseball finishes up here. Uh, I like the expanded playoffs. I think that needs to be a mainstay. Uh, <clears throat> I just think more teams, uh, you know, with with during a regular season, 162 games is a lot of games to really kind of limit your, your playoff teams. So uh, that'll be interesting to see here how baseball season finishes up. Um, but We'll move on to the National Football League. And, man, we're already in week three of the NFL. Can you believe that? Like, I I was counting down the days for the NFL to get back into action. And here we are. It's already, they're already back in action, and it's week three already. Uh, my fantasy football teams are doing good. 2-0 uh, and o in both leagues. Got to like that. Hoping to keep the streak alive here this week with both teams. But um, the big story out of the NFL so far through two weeks has been injuries. There were a few in – well, let me back it up. There were a few in training camp, a few season-ending injuries in training camp that I've already discussed in previous podcasts. And then week one had some some season-ending injuries as well. But nothing like week two. I mean, there were an unbelievable amount of injuries in week two. And just to kind of name some of the the big-name players that are out for the season with injuries... um, the main one is Giants running back Saquon Barkley. Tore his ACL, done for the year. That's a tough break. The Giants are terrible, and Barkley's their best player. So that's that's devastating for the Giants. Now, the San Francisco 49ers, they lost about six guys to injury this week in week two. Now... Two of them are season-ending injuries, and that's both on the defensive line. Defensive lineman Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas both tore their ACLs, and they're both out for the year. And quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo has a high ankle sprain, and then their two top running backs, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, they hurt their knees, and so they're going to be missing some time. Some other season-ending injuries. Denver Broncos. Of course, Von Miller got hurt right before week one started. He tore something in his ankle, and he had to have surgery on that, so his season was over. Then they just lost Cortland Sutton, their top wide receiver, this week. Drew Locke, their quarterback, got hurt. He's out for four to six weeks. Um... You know, the Chargers, they lost their top safety, Derwin James, for the year. Uh, You know, and the list could go on. Uh, And that doesn't even include uh, Christian McCaffrey, who has a high ankle sprain for the Carolina Panthers. And he'll be out 
four to six weeks. They just put him on the short-term IR. So you look around at the NFL through two weeks, and it is just nothing but carnage. You know, I I, I knew that the, the lack of a full training camp and no preseason games was going to hurt these guys. Uh, literally, literally and figuratively, but I mean, I didn't know that this it was gonna have this big of an impact on season-ending injuries. I mean, it's just been insane. Now, the craziest story when it comes to injuries came out of Los Angeles. The Chargers they hosted the Kansas City Chiefs this past week at SoFi Stadium, and, like, the plan was for Tyrod Taylor to start the game at quarterback because he started week one. And literally, during some time in the pregame, Tyrod Taylor got scratched, and rookie first-round pick Justin Herbert gets the tap to start. Now, Herbert was a top-ten pick. He's he's a great quarterback. Um he wasn't expecting to start. So he gets thrown into the starting role, and he he just performs really well. He has 311 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception, and a rushing touchdown as well. So he really uh, – and he almost beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in that debut. So uh, I would say moving forward, it's Herbert's job to lose at this point. But the news came out on Wednesday – that the reason that Tyrod Taylor was a last-minute scratch was because he had been dealing with a rib cartilage injury. And in the pregame, the team doctor for the Chargers was giving Taylor a injection, a, a pain-killing injection into his side to deal with the, the rib pain. And in doing so punctured his lung, literally gave Tyrod Taylor a pneumothorax, giving him an injection. And he didn't know it at the time until he started having severe chest pain. So he went to the hospital, and that's where they found his punctured lung. Now, I don't know about you, but I I think these team doctors probably ought to know where these players ribs and lungs are I mean I've never even heard of such a thing in in the sports world of a team doctor just uh, completely missing the mark like that um, there, there was reports came out today that the NFL Players Association is actually investigating this incident and that the team doctor is um basically going to be a subject of a lawsuit that's filed by Tyrod Taylor or his legal representation, but that's not a good situation. That's going to get a little messy, Uh, especially add the fact that Herbert gets thrown in there and all he does is just crush it. So Tyrod Taylor wouldn't have even, or Justin Herbert would not have even had that opportunity if Taylor would have had a successful injection during the pregame. But, man, keep an eye on that. That's going to be interesting. That's kind of an unprecedented situation. Um, But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association. 
And the NBA is in their conference finals. And a couple episodes ago, I made my predictions on who I thought was going to be in the conference finals. And this came on the heels of me going 8-0 in my first round predictions. So the second round comes around, and I made my four predictions. And I went 1-3, which is not good. And the only team that I correctly predict to win was the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I, I predicted them to be in the conference finals, and they are. Uh, so that's good. Now, they're playing the Denver Nuggets. And Denver, in order to get to the conference finals... They had to come back from a 3-1 series deficit against the Utah in the first round. Then they came back from a 3-1 series deficit against the L.A. Clippers, who I had picked to play the Lakers. Now, the Clippers were a popular pick to win the NBA title. And they're up 3-1 in the series, and then they lose three straight games and fall flat on their face. So, Denver, to their credit is played outstanding. Uh, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, those two together are... They they might very well be a top-five duo in the NBA. Uh, Probably the best duo in the NBA is, of course, LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the Lakers. But uh, over in the Eastern Conference, I had a double whiff. Um, I picked the Toronto Raptors to beat the... uh, Miami Heat. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks played the Miami Heat, and I picked the Bucks to beat the Heat. I picked the Raptors to beat the Boston Celtics. My apologies. So, Toronto, the Raptors took that series to Game 7. They were down uh, in the series, and they ended up forcing a Game 7, and Boston won in Game 7. You know, no hard feelings there. Uh, Game seven is game seven. Win or go home. Uh, Now, the other series, Milwaukee and Miami, I didn't didn't think that Milwaukee would look as as bad as they did. Um, I said that I would not be surprised if Miami ended up winning the series, which they did, uh, but I did not see that at all. Uh, Miami just dominated the Bucks, and it was it was pretty impressive to be honest with you so that sets up the Eastern Conference of the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat now again I didn't make a I didn't have an episode last week so I did not have a do not have a formal prediction on record for either series uh, but I will go both of these series are already underway um the eastern conference is four games in and if you asked me at the beginning of the series i probably would have said uh the miami heat would win in seven games and they are four games in and miami is up three games to one so that might be miami in five or six tops 
I mean, Miami is 11-2 and in the playoffs since the bubble started. Um, that's, that's unbelievable. So Miami, they may lose game five uh, because Boston's desperate. But they're not lo- they're not this thing's not going to game 7. My, uh, Miami's going to finish them off and represent the East in the finals. Now, in the Western Conference, they're 3 games into their series. And if I made a prediction before the series started, I would have picked the Lakers in probably 6 games. And after 3 games, the Lakers are up 2 games to 1. Now, Denver, they came out balling in game 3. Uh, Jamal Murray looks every bit of a superstar, and he's going to cause some issues for the Lakers here the rest of the series. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if this one goes seven, but I I still think the Lakers are going to win, and I think uh, the Heat are going to win in the East. So I think it's going to be a Los Angeles, Miami, NBA Finals, but... We'll see over the next uh, week or so how that plays out to see if I'm right about either one of those after my total whiff uh, on the uh, second-round predictions. But it's time to uh, go around the island now. We only have a few quick-hit topics from a few of the sports. And we'll start off, we'll, we'll circle back to Major League Baseball uh, Major League Baseball, as they conclude their regular season, they formally announced the locations of their postseason bubble. Now, I have I've already talked about these on a previous episode, but just as a reminder, since since we're talking about it, the there will be four cities in the in the uh, MLB postseason bubble. The National League are going to play their wild card and Division League series between Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, and Minute Maid Park in Houston, Texas. And in the American League, they're going to play their games uh, at San Diego, California, and Los Angeles, California. So... You got four different cities, and the American League Championship Series will be played at Petco Park in San Diego. The National League Championship Series will be played at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. And the World Series will be played at Globe Life Field here in Arlington, Texas, which is nice because it's a brand new stadium that the Rangers spent a ton of money on to be the second worst team in baseball this season, which is lovely. So at least to get their stadium used for something that's important because they won't be in the playoffs anytime soon. But I'm interested to see how the playoff bubble format works in Major League Baseball uh, because their season started out rough with all those positive COVID tests, man. They went, I think it was uh, the first like five or six weeks they had a positive test, or first four weeks for sure they had a positive test, and uh, it just it kept going spiraling out of control. But they were able to reel it back in, 
and they haven't had a positive test in a few weeks. So props to the MLB for getting that under control. Uh, but I definitely think the playoff bubble is the way to go. Um, they're using four cities as opposed to one city like or two cities like the NHL and one city like the NBA. So there'll be a bit more traveling involved there. But I still think that uh, it'll be successful, especially if they continue to produce negative tests uh, throughout the rest of the regular season and the few days before the playoffs start. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be uh, it'll be cool to see the the bubble in action. Uh, baseball's just been really weird this season with no fans, uh, kind of like the other sports, obviously too, but. Uh, those cardboard fans you see in the stands at baseball games, man, those just aren't cutting it. Um, but we'll move on from the MLB, and we'll just circle back real quick to the National Hockey League. And uh, I mentioned the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, Tampa Bay Lightning captain Steven Stamkos, he's been out with a, a core body injury, core muscle injury, since February. So he has not skated since before the season paused a while back. In a game, that is. He hasn't skated in a game since it was still regular season. Um, And he came out for warm-ups for game three on Wednesday night. And he felt good enough to at least play or give it a shot. And just a couple minutes into the game he takes a great pass down the right wing side of the boards completely roasts Esselindelf the Stars defenseman along the right boards right in front of the Stars bench skates right by him takes it in and just wires an absolute wicked wrister past Anton Hudobin and scores on his first shot on his first shift. And, you know, I mean, that's that that just goes to show you the talent of Steven Stamkos. I mean, the dude literally hasn't played a game in seven months. He had surgery, I think, to fix his core muscle issue. And here he is coming out, first shot, and he scores. And at the time... For a majority of the game, it held up as as the game-winning goal until Tampa just unloaded there at the end of the second period to get Anton Hudobin yanked out. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was a great shot, and it looks like, he, you know, Stamkos only played two minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, he, he sat and watched a majority of the game from the bench, but... Props to him on coming out and giving his team a big, big goal. That was a big momentum goal for the Lightning uh, and basically a demoralizer for the Stars. So uh, while it may not have been the game winner, it certainly certainly was a big goal in the game. But the final topic in Around the Island it deals with the NCAA and college football. Now, since the last episode... You know, the Big Ten has, they're going to be starting their season here in October. They came off of their original wait till spring. You know, the Pac 12's looking at doing the same. Uh, they are doing the same. 
And then the Mountain West Conference, I heard the other day, they're consi- they're having a meeting this week to determine if they will be doing what the Big Big Ten and the Pac-12 are doing. And um, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they announced that they're going to be doing daily COVID testing, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. Is is since college football has started. Now, we're in week four of college football. It started before the NFL. So we're in week four of college football. And so far, there have been 21 games that have been postponed due to COVID-19. And that's for positive tests or players that have to quarantine, etc. And I mentioned just a bit ago that the Big 12 and the SEC... Uh, or the Pac-12, rather, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they're going to be doing daily testing, um, which that, I think, is what the NFL's doing outside of game days. So that seems to be working for the NFL. Uh, The other conferences probably ought to consider doing the same because, as we've seen in the NFL through two weeks now, two and a half weeks, we haven't had one single positive test in the NFL. So... They're doing it right, and so I think daily testing outside of game days is probably the way to go, just so you stay on top of it, because with a college team, they're on campus, they interact with other students, the likelihood that they're going to be around somebody with COVID is probably a lot higher than an NFL player, but um, so there's been a few teams that haven't even had a season opener yet, because... Uh, they've had nothing but postponements. Now, uh, there's teams that have also had multiple postpone. Other, you know, other teams that have maybe played a game and just had another uh, postponement or two. But Houston, Memphis, Baylor, Florida Atlantic, Virginia Tech, Arkansas State, and Rice are all the, the colleges that have experienced multiple postponements. Now, there, I'm not going to go through the list of the 21 games that are canceled. Uh, but there's some good ones on there. Uh, you got SMU and TCU, uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, um, BYU and Army, Houston and Baylor, and then this weekend's game, Notre Dame and Wake Forest. Uh, we had some Notre Dame athletes test positive this past week, and so they're all in quarantine there. But um, you know, I just I think that the NCAA needs to adopt the NFL's method. You know, the NFL has not had any positive tests, any postponements, any cancellations. They've been rocking and rolling with their season. So I think that they, the NCAA would be wise to probably step in and and consider some kind of. Uh, protocol that the NFL is following just to uh, limit the number of postponements moving forward because 21 games is is quite a bit to make up, especially when most schools only left uh, two open weeks at the end of the season to make those up. But that's going to wrap up the 13th episode of Sports Island. Uh, Appreciate you guys listening tuning in and uh, being the best part of Sports Island. But uh, I hope you all have a good week. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.